Hello and welcome to Hyperlink. I'm your host, Dominic Curie, and with me is my guest today, Hunter Wolfley. Uh, hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> How are you doing today, Hunter? I'm doing excellent, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I've, I've got a question for you, though. Lay it on me. Oh, I wasn't expecting questions. Right? Have you ever been on the internet? What's that? Yeah, I think I'm familiar. Yeah, and you're researching something, you're doing homework, whatever, and then you get completely distracted and then end up researching something else for hours and hours on then? Um, like maybe extinct bananas or something like that? Yes, that's the topic for today. How did you know? I've never done that. Oh. But I have a lot of banana knowledge if you'd like me to... I would love for you yeah, to, absolutely. to tell me about your banana knowledge. <laughs> banana knowledge. <laughs> To answer your question, Dom, yes, I've had many late nights sitting with a lonely <laughs> laptop with nothing but the history of bananas to comfort me. For those of you just joining us first time on Hyperlink, uh, this is a companion podcast to a video series that we release on YouTube at uh, 22S Media at U- like at YouTube and on it, YouTube. And it slaps so hard, you yeah. guys. It slaps real hard. Thank you. And we have we had an episode with Hunter about extinct bananas, and so today we're going to be going into a little bit more about bananas. A little oh, bit of the yeah. history. Oh, yeah. What's a banana? Who is a banana? Oh, we're going to be finding out who a banana is. Right. Who Mr. Big Banana is, really. So, Hunter, can you tell me more about the history of bananas? Sure, 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 sure. The history of bananas is kind of like this weird parallel to the history of imperialism <laughs> in Central America. So that's pretty cool and uplifting. Mm-hmm. So, uh, bananas were originally grown in Southeast Asia. They're carried over to Africa, and then from there carried over to the Caribbean, and then from there they were hopped over into Central America, and it was around like the mid 1800s that the um, United Fruit Company uh, came into Central America, and they decided they were going to start. The climate there was perfect; they could produce like a ton of fruits constantly throughout the year and import it to the United States. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was around that time in the mid-1800s that the banana was introduced to the United States as like a regular food, and so, it was super popular. So it was, was wild. Was the United Fruit Company a U.S. Uh, company? Yes. It was, okay. just, it was a company from the United States, hopped over to Central America, said, mm-hmm. there's a lot of money here, family. <laughs> and then they uh, started but bananas caught on really quick because mm-hmm. that was the thing that they could grow there and they could cultivate it really quickly. Right. Um, especially because, as I've talked about on the the other experience of Hyperlinked, uh, the video form, that when you grow bananas, they grow completely differently. Where mm-hmm. um, you at the base of the stem plant, because it's not a tree, mm-hmm. it's like this weird it's a pseudo stem. It's a pseudo stem. It's in the it's in the herb family, which is weird. It's like a what eight foot tall herb. Aren't bananas also technically berries? Kind uh, kind of. I mean, they're not. Fruits in a certain way because they also like come in bunches and mm-hmm. all this different stuff. It's interesting. Uh, classification of foods is always super weird to me. It's wild, man. Like a strawberry is not a berry, but a banana is. I feel like um, the names came first and the categories came later, especially yeah. for plants. Mm-hmm. But anyway, back <laughs> to um, the United Fruit Company. United Fruit Company. They're in um, Central America. Making bananas. Making bananas. Bananas are through the roof. Totally popping. It's going bananas. It's going bananas, man. Um, but because Central America as like a government was still developing, mm-hmm. and you have this giant conglomerate there soaking up all that good money, and your primary export, your primary workforce are people who are working to get bananas out the door, very quickly, the United Fruit Company starts to 
become the government because it's running the economy Mm -hmm. and the workers. So this is actually where the term banana republic comes from because a lot Mm -hmm. of the countries in Central America were essentially run by this giant, primarily banana company as it as it eventually became. Um, today, the United Fruit Company is known as Chiquita Banana, mm-hmm. the Chiquita, yeah, the Chiquita Company. And the reason it's no longer a monopoly is because of Dole. Otherwise, okay. like like Dole popped up later. I mean, it was around, but it really mm-hmm. shot up later because at this point in history, the United Fruit Company just had a monopoly. They uh-huh. were crazy. What did what did they do with their monopoly? So. One thing that they could do, which was crazy, was, um, especially in the United States, they could manipulate a lot of the prices. But, of Mm -hmm. course, in Central America, when you are the government, what you have the incredible opportunity to do is say, that land's mine Mm -hmm. for bananas. (laughs) You're living there? Cool. Uh You should be working. Get back to work. Mm -hmm. Retroactively, like your family's there. Yeah. So the United Fruit Company was taking land away from people and profiting and it eventually just became slavery. You couldn't go anywhere else. It was the only place you could make money. The living conditions were awful. You were overworked and you couldn't get enough money to support your family. So in around the late 40s, early 50s, um, there was like a fire within the people that needed an outlet. And that was uh, a group of leaders who wanted to create a democracy within Guatemala. I'm going to talk about Guatemala specifically mm-hmm. because that is where Jacob O.R. Benz comes in. And this is where one of the weirdest things in like the history of like the CIA and the United Fruit Company in the United States comes in because it basically shows how bananas toppled the Guatemalan government. <laughs> so Jacob O.R. Benz runs on the platform of we need to give support back to our workers. I want to start giving land back to the peasants, and I want to make it so that this monopoly that's running our government, we have a real government for the people now. Mm-hmm. Everybody loved Jacob Arbenz. He was the first democratically elected president, leader, really, of Guatemala. And it was crazy. It was 51. Central America was changing for the better. Of course, we know nowadays it got a lot worse, and there were a lot of coups, and it's partially because of what is about to happen. The United Fruit Company saw this, and they said... Yeah, we don't like that. So they went to the president at the time, Harry Truman, and said... The U.S. Uh, the US president. The not, U.S. president, okay. um, Harry Truman. And they said, hey, what's up, Harry? Heard you're not a fan hey. of... Com- <laughs> hey. <laughs> he replied. <laughs> um, and they said, heard you're not a fan of communists. We no. found one. We found a communist. It's what? the president of Guatemala. He's a communist. Get rid of him. Okay. So Harry was on board. And so he went to the CIA and he says, all right, we're going to get rid of that guy who's trying to turn Guatemala into a communist nation. At the time, there was a communist party in Guatemala, but it wasn't running the government. It was just sitting around. In the United States, there was a communist party at the time as well. So um, Harry Truman uh, went to the CIA and he says, get rid of this guy. Get rid of this government. And the CIA said, "Okay." And they created a um, a secret codename project called um, PB Fortune. Why was it called PB Fortune? I don't know, man. I'd like to think it's because of peanut butter fortune. Peanut butter does go great with bananas. Yes. As does secret military coups. <laughs> um, but Harry Truman was getting out of office. He just dropped the bomb, and he wasn't about to drop another one <laughs> in the form of like deep underground military disruption. So he left, and then Eisenhower came in, and then Ned Fruit Company said, Hey, Eisenhower, don't know if you heard about this. What? <laughs> Wow, same voice. Same voice. Uh, it was, it was the pre- that that's what the people were looking for in the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that kind of person to be elected. Great voice. <laughs> um, so they said, "Hey Eisenhower, um, go get this guy." And Eisenhower said, "Oh, okay. That sounds about right. I'm trying to get rid of communists." 
So we went to the CIA. They created a new code name, um, PB Success, which I honestly think is a little presumptuous <laughs> yeah. at this point. I get that you're the CIA and you can do whatever you want, but the first time you did this plan, it didn't go through. <laughs> you can't call it, we finished. Um, but I guess they did because the CIA got about 480 men. They went into Guatemala. They intercepted a lot of different parts of the media and the government. And they started a campaign of psychological warfare where they took over radio stations and did anti-government propaganda, anti-communist propaganda. They even actually like convinced and went into like churches and convinced like preachers to give sermons against the government and against communism. This is all for bananas. This is all like because the banana company wanted to make more bananas. More bananas. Like because this this new government was going to give rights to the people who they were essentially using as slaves to grow bananas. Yeah. And so this all started because the banana company had a little tiny thing in its way. And so they decided to completely get rid of it. Anyway, in uh, around like 5253, Jacobo Arbenz, uh, the coup is like completely started. Like people are rallying in the streets, especially with psychological warfare. The CIA is there to give people what they need to start a revolution. And um, Jacobo Arbenz, the CIA, they, they pick him up and they drop him off in Mexico because he probably would have died. They get him out of there and um, they put a new guy in government and... Um, the Guatemalan government's been in a, in a not-so-hot place ever since just because coup after coup keeps happening. Especially that's what happens when you have a country in which there is a, not a stable democratic government, but your main economic export is like a commodity mm -hmm. um, because it's not like the services of people. Wait, know? so what, what happened to Jacob Arbenz? So Jacob Arbenz stayed in Mexico for a long time, and then um, eventually, uh, much later, uh, there was another leader, another individual that was threatening the United Fruit Company's endeavors in Cuba. And so they, they, uh, hey, they knocked on the president's door and said, hey, that was some great work in Guatemala. Mm -hmm. uh, we found this other guy in Cuba who's kind of threatening our, our fruit operations in Which Cuba. Which president was, is the same president? Um, this might have been Eisenhower, might have been Kennedy. The guy they wanted to get rid of was Castro. They wanted to get rid yeah. of Fidel Castro. It didn't work. They partially funded, like, also back with PB Success, mm -hmm. with that suggestion of get rid of communism, they also slipped the United States government, like, an insane amount of money and said, if you're tight on money, we're, we'll fund this for you. Like, mm -hmm. no worries, family. You can also pocket it if you'd <laughs> like. Um, they did the same thing. They said, hey, go do this Bay of Pigs operation. Here's a lot of money. Like, mm -hmm. get this done. Get this guy out of here so we can keep growing bananas and use the mm -hmm. people that he's trying to mobilize. Mm -hmm. um, but it didn't work. Bay of Pigs was Kennedy. Bay of Pigs was Kennedy. Yeah. So, yeah. So they, uh, many years later, tried to do the same thing. Didn't work. They didn't try it anymore. Mm -hmm. Also, at that point, like, now many years in the future, we know Chiquita Banana is no longer, like, a giant like it's not running the world anymore. Right. It, it it's getting smaller, mm -hmm. especially because it's competing with Dole now. Mm -hmm. Um, so at the time, like Jacob Orbenz has got nothing to lose. Fidel Castro is like a blatant communist. Mm -hmm. He's like, screw it. Like I support. Like he was just publicly in Mexico was like I support Fidel Castro. 
Uh-huh. He's a homie. I get it. I've been there. Are you kidding me? If anyone <laughs> understands, I do. So he was like, yeah, this is great. I hope the revolution works. I hope Fidel Castro is doing a good time. He was very not popular at that point, especially uh-huh. because like the insane amount of like propaganda the United States had. He was like a pariah. The CIA just ruined his life, essentially. But he's like, screw it. Like, I, I, I hope he wins. Anyway. He went to uh, Cuba for a little bit to help rally with everybody, and then he came back. And when he came back, he got very sick and then died very quickly. <laughs> a little too quickly, some might say. And all I'm saying is uh, if the CIA is really good at one thing, it is faking disease. <laughs> anyway, that's just a conspiracy theory on my part. He could have just died of disease. It's Jacob Benz. He's a crazy guy. He can, he can get sick. So... No, it was, it, it, I, it's very likely it could have been the CIA because also the CIA um, much later tried to uh, – also the history of the CIA like 30 to 50 years later being like, so didn't tell you guys about this, but we did a bad a while ago and we're investigating it now. Here's the story. Um, they did that with Project Wormwood, which is a weird thing where they did um, experiments on like soldiers and um, LSD in like the fifties. Whoa, that's crazy! They did it without consent. It's wild. Calling it Project Wormwood is a seriously loaded name. Anyways, do you, do you know very, why? Yeah, because that's where it comes from. Because of the the demon named Wormwood. Wor- you know what? Also, the, oh my god, there's a great Wait. documentary on Netflix. Wormwood. Uh, there are chemicals in Wormwood that can be used to make LSD. Oh, that's why? Okay. I was but thinking Wormwood also, because, right. of, because of C.S. Lewis's screw tape yeah. letters, and Wormwood's one of them. It's also, terrifying, right? Also, the na- one of the names of, uh, or the name of Calvin's, and Calvin and Hobbes' uh, teacher. Mrs. Oh, my God. Mrs. Wormwood. Wor- oh, my named God. Named after the demon. That's yeah. wild. Mm-hmm. Man, I got to read some C.S. Lewis. That sounds great. Um, just to give me some context to Wormwood, because I'd, I'd always thought yeah. of it as like, oh, that's a blatantly the chemical. Anyway. Um, they eventually went back and tried to investigate themselves. Still, w- the CIA was not very honest about this. There were other journalists who were like, oh, like we figured out more than the CIA is willing to let mm-hmm. on about this. I highly recommend a documentary on Netflix called Wormwood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's insane. And it'll start off crazy and it'll get crazier. <laughs> it just lets you know that like, the crazy thing is, is that most of the things that, of course, governments, but especially the CIA has done in history that they have to like retroactively investigate so that other people don't find out and then destroy the CIA, but they Mm -hmm. can't reveal all of it. Anyway, much later, the CIA for PB Success did an operation called PB History where they said, (laughs) our bad, we kind of got rid of the Guatemalan government a while ago. Um, But they didn't say what happened to Jacob Arbenz after that, although they definitely kept tabs on him. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the end of the story. They just overthrew the government. And they didn't just overthrow the bananas. government. Like the combination of the United Fruit Company, the CIA's involvement, the toppling of governments. Like even today, Central American, the Central American government is still like going crazy. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't twenty years ago that there were like s- still like coups happening. Yeah, which is wild. Yeah. And it's because like of bananas. <laughs> it's because of bananas. It's bananas. Also, we to kind of change subjects of bananas. Sure, sure, um, sure. We talked a little bit about the different t- different types of bananas. Is there any more types of ban- different types of bananas? Um, yes. Yeah, since we recorded the video, I was acquainted with something that I found very funny, which was something called the false banana, <laughs> which immediately is, of course, I have to know about this thing. Um, it looks very similar to the banana plant. We talked about on the show how banana plants are not technically trees. Mm-hmm. They're pseudo stems. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they're technically in the herb family a little bit. And they're also, bananas are technically closer to berries than they are traditional fruit. We talked about that. Um, so it's kind of like an herb, like a, a, a non-woody stem. It's just like a leafy, thin stem, but it's like six feet tall and as thick as like your body. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, the false plant is in Africa. Um, and it looks very similar to the banana plant. It's also like a little prettier. It's got some pink in there and it grows what looks to be the early stages of banana, but the bananas never get there. And if you try to eat one, it just, it tastes awful and gritty and like, like planty. And it, it just, it, it's not edible. It's a non-edible but it looks like it. a banana. It looks like a banana plant. That's like and a weird, like Greek, Greek tort, like Greek mythology torture, where like <laughs> you're rolling something up a hill, but then every time you get, you open the banana, it's exactly. not a banana. There are a lot of stories of explorers being like, "Oh, finally food," <laughs> yeah. and they're like, "Oh no." What's also interesting is that these plants were never cultivated because they're not edible. Mm-hmm. So they look like the early stages of historically what bananas were, which is when you open them up, you got these thick black beady seeds, which we selectively bred out of them. Mm-hmm. So it's. Hilariously ironic, but it's also a piece of history. It mm-hmm. lets you know what bananas originally were. Mm-hmm. And it can show you that like these plants still grow the traditional way, which is their fruit falls off, and those plants, those little seeds, eventually grow into more false bananas. Mm-hmm. Whereas today, most bananas that we'd ever know about are done the, the weird artificial way where we cut off a piece of them and slap them in the ground. Since... Um, oh, I should talk about grafting in a little bit. Yeah, so... If I wanted to have a banana plant, how would I do that? I can't buy a banana seed, obviously. Do I just have to buy a small banana plant? Yeah, in you, order you buy a small banana plant. And could, what's could I make more banana plants just by myself by doing that process? Yes, and it's awesome because there are two different types of like sprouts that'll come out from the base of the stem underneath the soil. Mm-hmm. And once you see those sprouts coming out, you cut those off at the root. And there are two kinds. And there's a ton of videos on YouTube that you can check out, which are of people being like, how to spot... There's a great slang notation that is escaping me right now. Things like that are called suckers and growers. <laughs> like suckers are important to have to like keep on the plant and get that nutrients in the plant, but you want to cut off them growers and put them somewhere else so they can uh-huh. grow into a new plant. I'm probably brutally like misremembering that. But there are two types of sprouts uh-huh. that come out for sure. You can totally do that. A lot of people grow them in um, like more temperate climates, especially in like Florida. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's easy. You can go for it. Wonderful. I do want to talk about grafting because that is amazing. That's another like testament to like the weird other ways that humanity has found to grow fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, grafting is kind of a similar process to what we do to bananas. The, the, there's a lot of like you when we think about growing in agriculture, there's like we usually think of like, oh, you put seeds in the ground, but that's like the smallest vein. A lot of it is a lot of different things like how we grow potatoes and um, how we go bananas is the process of like separation. It's a very generic name where you separate a part of the plant and put it somewhere else. Um, but along that line, there's something called grafting, which is similar, which is when you take off a part of the plant and preserving the vascular integrity of the plant, the veins, you go to another plant with similar biology, and then you cut open that plant, you put both of the veins together, and then you keep it there for a long time, and eventually that base plant starts giving the new branch nutrients, and now you have one tree that is growing two fruits. It'd be like if... So it's like if you got a heart transplant, but instead of another heart, it's like entirely new human being? Yeah. Like, 
like it'd be it, it's crazy and I can't think of it but like imagine if I was really good at baseball and so I had a lot of great muscle memory in my arm and then you're like oh I'd love to have that <laughs> so you just took my arm and now you can make excellent podcasts and shows and do great <laughs> baseball so it's wild of course I don't think that's how wild I, I think a lot of baseball skill is intelligence I don't want to insult the baseball community on this podcast I've already been beat up multiple times <laughs> um so what's really interesting about grafting is that there's like the straight economic part of it, but it is also there's also like an artistic community to it. And there's a guy in San Francisco. Grafting's crazy. It's so hard and difficult because you're asking a different biological system to accept a new limb. It's you have to like be gentle with it and really know how to mm. do it. There's a guy in San Francisco. And I'm sure he rejects it a lot of the time, it, right? Yeah. Well, it's different because uh, in our bodies, our bodies like really reject outside system. Plants, oh. it's a little easier, but it's really just about making sure that the vascular system is aligned mm -hmm. and making sure that you aren't like completely draining the plants of nutrients on one side. Because if some mm -hmm. fruits require way more water, way more nutrients, and you are putting it with a plant that can't support that kind of nutrients. So would it work way better with plants that are similar? Like like just different types of apples on the same tree or like different types? Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Like stone fruits staying on the same tree? Yes, but if you're really good at it and you're good at doing the math and you're good at figuring out like, okay, I want a stone fruit on that apple tree that's going to require a lot more juice. Mm -hmm. That's a scientific term. <laughs> you're going to want to make sure that you're not only getting like the right place in the plant, mm -hmm. the right like height and the right location, but you want to make sure that you're in a you have to know the biology of plants so well that it's not just about like, oh, these are the parts of the plant. You're like, oh, no, lower down to the plant is going to be an easier place to support mm -hmm. higher juice fruits. Mm -hmm. It's wild. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, it's, you, ha you really have to know that on, like, a deep level. It, like, you have to be an expert. So there's a guy in San Francisco, and this is crazy. He grows 40 fruit trees, trees that grow 40 <sighs> different fruits. And that's not like... Cool. That's a Granny Smith, and that's a. Red all these apples are different colors. All those apples are different colors. No, it's like all these crazy different flutes, and they flower flutes. at different times, and they like grow and they harvest. They harvest at different times, and it's insane. Mm -hmm. It's no longer about how do we increase the amount of harvest, but it's like what are we capable of creating? It's Frankenstein. I think to plants, this is horrifying. If there are any plant <laughs> listeners, we should have a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. Um, but it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's crazy what humans are capable of doing because it completely reshapes what we think biology is traditionally capable of. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite fruit? That's a good question. I'm a big fan of the mango. Really? Yeah. I don't, I don't really like mangoes that much. I love blackberries and blueberries. Mm -hmm. What about you, man? Figs. You're a fig man? I'm I'm such a fig guy. You know the thing where figs are like open fruits where their seeds you know they're open, like on the inside you there's like a hole at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So be like a little wasps crawl up oh, in there. Oh sometimes, yeah. And they die. Uh huh. And the plant kinda digests them a little bit and they uh -huh. rot in there. It adds some zing. Yeah, a little flavor. The little wasp venom is what gives you that good figgy kick. Mm, have you ever had a good fig? Oh my god. I've picked a fig fresh off a tree and eaten it, Dom. Oh, it stung a little bit. It stung my, my stung my tongue because of the bees. My grandma had a a fig tree, and every summer we go pick figs and just eat them all right there. Mm. Oh, good stuff. So nice. Yeah. Um, we have I have more that I can talk about. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to you a little bit earlier about um, how kind of the history of agriculture in general. Yeah. It's is the banana is kind of only one example of like yeah b- systems being affected by agriculture and and so, yeah yeah you can trace power throughout history just by looking at like the specific agricultural conflict happening at the time mm-hmm. um there was I, I i think an example i gave you which was um the civil war isn't really a culture conflict it's a soil conflict because if the United States had like very fertile soil throughout, then we probably would have been late to getting out of slavery because slavery would have been a both ec- both sides. Both sides it would have been an economic dependent thing. Mm-hmm. Same thing for the United Fruit Company. Mm-hmm. People in the region were needed and our land was needed, and so that's why they took over the whole country. Mm-hmm. And then if the soil was way worse and soil yeah. wasn't good in either place, then there wouldn't be as much of a thing clinging to, to slavery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it, the United States was split in terms of its soil quality, that's mm-hmm. what resulted in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about it like as a culture conflict because it was, and mm-hmm. an ideological and an economic conflict because it was. Mm-hmm. But it comes down to really like what plants could grow. Mm-hmm. Um, what's also really crazy is that you can also trace um, how the New World, the, the uh, North and South America came into the mix on like the world stage. Mm-hmm. By tracing like the history of how plants came to the United States, like coffee, for example, it's crazy. Coffee is originally from Africa, but it became extremely popular in Europe, and it was mm-hmm. imported. And it wasn't until like much, much, much later that I think, um, in France, I think this is France. Um, yeah, we're gonna go with that. I'm not a coffee expert. You should get a coffee expert on the show, Dom. Hmm. The next episode. Anyway, about foreshad- coffee. foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, so uh, there was a gift that was presented to a French, Polish, who knows, king, European, who cares? Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm gonna offend a lot of people on this podcast. <laughs> I love, I love Europeans. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, there was a gift that was given because this was also at a time of colonization in Africa. History is just very problematic in general, Dom. Um, there was a gift given by one of the colonies forced people to be a part of France. They gave essentially the king of France, Poland, whoever, they gave the king uh, a coffee plant. Someone, uh, people from Africa gave. Like a representative like of the area. They were like, here's a gift. It's a coffee plant. Mm -hmm. And the king was like, this is crazy. (laughs) This is wild. Uh It's, that would be like getting an an animal from another planet. Uh So he built a whole greenhouse around this thing Mm because he's a king. Kings Mm -hmm. are kind of crazy though. Um, he built this whole greenhouse around it and he tended to it and he cared to it. And with the coffee plant, like you could make a lot more coffee plants. And he had a general whose name was like C-L-I-E-U. I don't know. It sounds perfectly pronounced. We're going to keep going. I'm going to keep going with Declu. I should get a clue. He went up, he was like the general and he went up to the king and he's like, hey, you should like get those seeds off that thing as quickly as possible because mm-hmm. if we start growing coffee in Europe, we could own the coffee trade here. Mm-hmm. And the king goes, that sounds like a cool idea, but you've forgotten that it's my coffee plant yeah. and it's my gift. And also, he's my bu- he's my boy. Right. He's my son. Right. I'm taking care of him. <laughs> but also, I don't, coffee doesn't really grow that well in Europe, right? Well, in greenhouses, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. 
Dick Lee was a little also, he was like, we should build greenhouses and like uh-huh. do this. Who knows if it would have been economically yeah. viable. Mm-hmm. I'm, I love Dick Lee because of what of what's about to happen. So okay. I agree with him. Just no uh-huh. matter what, not I don't. His economic idea could have been totally wrong, but who cares? Anyway, what he ended up doing is he ended up saying, "Okay, I'm about to Ocean Elevens this." <laughs> the general sneaks into like the king's greenhouse in like the middle of the night. It's heavily guarded. Like everybody knows who he is. Mm-hmm. If he's caught, he's going to jet. He might get executed. Uh-huh. Doesn't care. He's got this whole plan ready. He sneaks in, steals the coffee plant, goes to the port where a ship is waiting for him to go to the new world. He is running away to the new world. This is like the the uh this is the plot of Wally basically. It's the plot of Wally. It's also the plot of most con- ideological, economic and cultural conflicts in Europe at the time where people uh-huh. would be like, "We want to do this." And the authority said, that's not a good idea. And they said, okay, we're leaving to another continent. <laughs> it's a tr- it's like a representative of like what was happening to power at that time. Yeah. In which running away was a great idea. Yeah. Not really. You, you usually would die. Um, which is all, almost what happened to this Clue guy. Uh-huh. He was on the ship. They vastly underestimated what they needed, ran out of water, so he would give his water rations to <laughs> the plant to keep it alive. He, could, he was like, he's like, I have to keep this coffee plant yeah. alive, man intercepted by pirates as they neared the Caribbean, took everything, didn't take the plants. Yes. He gets there and he starts growing coffee. Now, of course, Declou's kind of a crazy guy. And there are people who dispute that he's the guy who introduced coffee. He was very much like, I was the first. I got coffee here, family. I did a lot of bullshit to get here. I don't uh-huh. know if I'm allowed to say that. You might have to You're chilling. Um, so he's cool. And what ended up happening is it was grown in the Caribbean. And then mm-hmm. eventually, Brazil, which is the biggest producer of coffee today um other central american countries would keep their coffee plants secret because mm-hmm. the coffee trade is like wild mm-hmm. because people need their coffee like they need their don't coffee. even don't even talk to me before i have my coffee <laughs> it's an addiction anyway it's no but it was it's great and it was the greatest addiction the world has ever seen it was uh-huh. amazing it's good for your health it was great it made everybody happy it was wonderful mm-hmm. people needed it and people also some people believe that coffee is the reason the enlightenment happened which mm-hmm. I think is probably what you'll hear. I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to step on the next episode, but a lot of people think that because of the coffee trade, people were able to stay up later. They were able to think for longer periods of time. Of course, the wealthy would love coffee, and that's why a lot of like people were able to stay motivated to educate others and stay educated for longer. It's a mm-hmm. theory. Who knows? Like who knows? A lot of history is wildly speculative. <laughs> I'm gonna talk about that in a second too, because now I'm just ranting. <laughs> um, so Brazil didn't have a coffee plant. They wanted one desperately, but people were keeping all their coffee plants secret. Now you didn't need a greenhouse, but they would have like, these giant walls. Like, not just like, oh, that's a big wall, but like, oh, like, that's huge. That's like 50 feet tall. Mm-hmm. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Um. So there was somebody in Brazil who was like, we need a coffee plant so we can start the coffee business in our country. Our, com- our country's big. We want to do coffee. And so I don't remember if it was a government official or if it was a businessman, but he essentially asked his wife to sleep with one of the leaders of like another coffee plant. And she did it. And she got the coffee plant. So this is the second Ocean's Eleven type heist. This is the second Ocean Eleven type heist for coffee. And now Brazil is the biggest producer of coffee in the world. I'm going to talk really quick about oral history and how history is well. Okay. Did you know that uh, uh, Canada... I brought this up in the last episode, I think. Go for it. Canada has... Um, has had two uh, 
Oh, syrup accidents. Sir, yes. Those syrup heists, and you need to clarify which one you're talking to talking about if you mention a syrup heist. I think I mentioned that last you episode. You did. I, I loved. I loved that one. That was in the Ruth Bader Ginsburg, an yes, excellent one. Please yeah. check it out. Please Thank watch. The, Thank you. And listen to the Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's so great. The slaughterhouse cases. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. So, what were we saying about oral history? <laughs> Also, really quick, there was also a heist on like the East Coast where somebody stole like 16 tons of sand overnight, and there we there are like no tire tracks, like nobody uh-huh. found out who did it, which is crazy. Like you had to leave a trace. You have to have trucks on that beach at night. Uh huh. It's like in a, it's in a town. It's cr- I still think about that all the time. This is Not the, today. The topic's starting to get very broad talking about oral history because it's crazy how so many things that we claim as like oh, we have something here on record. And because it's on record and somebody says this happened at this time, it's history. We've confirmed mm-hmm. it's history. So much of history are people saying, oh, my dad told me this happened 20 years ago. And because writing's very important right now, I should probably write that down. And as soon as you write it down, it's like. Oh, but dads, dads lie to their kids yeah, all the time. Yeah. Grandpas lie to their kids all the time. There are crazy stories about like how different treaties got made and like how different contests were won and like different figures and what happened. And a lot of it is oral history. Mm-hmm. Oral history, unpopular opinion, is very important to culture, but we it's like it's supposed to change. Like you tell stories, and when you get tired of that story, you change it a little yeah. bit. So it's more interesting. <laughs> Most of history is oral history and it's fluid. And so a lot of history, I definitely am sure that in like of course, history changes all the time, but history by nature, because it's based on people not necessarily writing things down exactly when it happens, mm-hmm. it's always going to—we we have no clue. Same thing of how the CIA, like, retroactively had to be like, okay, the only reason we know about the CIA being involved in dissolving the Guatemalan government is because the CIA came out and said, we feel really bad. We have a hard time sleeping about this one. <laughs> but they could have done more. They could have said a lot more. And they also could have clarified what they kept tabs on afterward. Because yeah. 100%, like, they were watching the C- Central American government for communists, and people mm-hmm. were on watch lists, and who knows if they got rid of our bents. Mm-hmm. Like, who know- they could have killed, they could have totally killed them if they mm-hmm. wanted to, especially after supporting Fidel Castro. Yeah. It's wild. You want to know what else is wild? <laughs> what, what's wild, Dom? Quantum physics. It's the wildest thing on planet Earth, and it's very heavily integrated into pop culture now, but it is legitimately one of the most splendid things in the world. Um, we've talked about bananas a lot. And yeah. Like any banana podcast, it would not be completely complete if we didn't talk about uh, quantum physics. Or relativity. I know or that you have some questions about that. Yes, and uh, I've heard that you are also an expert on... On those two things? Who is Einstein? No, (laughs) I am just very passionate about that. What's funny is that there are weird parallels that will connect back to some things that we've talked about, which is like imperialism and the concept of cloning and all this stuff, which we talked about with bananas. Uh That's heavily tied to some concepts of the history of So what you're saying is bananas are quantum physics. We're all made out of the same stuff, Dom. Yeah. A couple quarks, a couple electrons. Um, So if I'm someone who... I'm just a normal Joe. I'm mm-hmm. just a little Dom hey, walking Dom. down the street. Oh. And I'm like... Go for a jog? Yeah. And I'm like, quantum physics sounds like a really like hard thing to learn. Like, I don't want to learn about quantum physics. I don't have a degree in math or physics or quantum the math of is solace. Fun. The math is pretty fun. Where do I start? What do I, what, 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 
what should get me excited about quantum physics? As like a concept or like the weird thing, like to motivate you to get into it? Because I feel like there are, especially now in pop culture, people are now catching on to like quantum physics is crazy. Mm-hmm. The I think superposition, most people are starting to know what superposition is, which is where like a particle can be in two places at once. What do you mean in pop culture? Sorry to backtrack, but... Yeah, like nowadays when there's a smart scientific character, like there are sci-fi concepts that are slowly being introduced. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when like uh, dark energy and dark matter and, yeah. and like all that stuff started coming in? Mm-hmm. Do you remember when black holes first started coming into sci-fi? Like very slowly these abstract astro- like astro- um, astronomy, uh-huh. not astrology. Do you know who I'm sick of? Who? Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> Why, Dom? <laughs> Not Neil Patrick Harris. I love Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> You're talking about I deGrasse? The, I, I hate Neil deGrasse Tyson. Listen, I've talked to Dom about this before. Um, I'm uh, so sick of him. <laughs> He's so smug. Okay, here's the thing. Like, no, at first, I, I at first when he did his little thing and he was like, I'm going to talk about mo- both physics and movies. I'm like, that's exciting. I like both of those things. But now he's just a tr- internet troll. He's a troll, yeah. And he's so smug. Here's the thing, Dom. When you spend 12 years of your life catching up, you're not going to be the most socially aware person. Ca- what do you mean catching up? Catching up on quantum physics. There's so much stuff to learn. I'm at, I've, I've barely grazed 5% of quantum physics, and my mind is completely blown. Mm-hmm. And I and I like looking into the math, which mm-hmm. I think most people that know things about quantum physics don't like to learn about. Mm-hmm. But the math is what's cool because it's you have like a physical thing like, oh, this is true. Mm-hmm. That's totally real. Mm-hmm. It's not just we don't have to just trust somebody. Um, it's so that's crazy. But I think um, uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was a student of Carl Sagan who originally brought many um, scientific concepts to the minds of the public through his uh, th- through like his show and his public broadcasting mm-hmm. uh Carl Sagan is just an incredible dude. In very awesome. Um great smoking chair. Great smoking chair. Also another um great scientist who was publicly broadcasted is Richard Feynman, who created he became famous and run a won a Nobel Prize because he created the Feynman diagrams, which mm-hmm. was like for a long time explaining particle physics to somebody was impossible because it was such weird abstract concepts. And Richard Feynman, a great communicator and educator and particle physicist, mm-hmm. came in and he said, here are, di- here are diagrams where you can see what the particles uh-huh. are doing and how they're changing. So you're saying a podcast wouldn't necessarily be the, the appropriate medium for educating people about quantum physics? No, but we're going to do it anyway, Dom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, what I'm also going to say about Carl Sagan, um, no, not Carl Sagan, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson is... Back when we were interviewing uh, Carl Sagan and Richard Feynman, they would come into a room, talk for a little bit, and then leave. Because if you study particle physics for years and years and years, you're going to go a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm. You're going to be a, l- a little less socially aware. Neil deGrasse Tyson is one of those guys, but he has a Twitter account, so he can say what he wants all the time, and he's going to think some crazy things. Because if you're a particle physicist, mm-hmm. you get to the point where, oh, I've caught up. Now we're just trying to figure out how this thing works. Uh-huh. And you're sitting in a room for years trying to think about what to do. So, yes, he's he's a little nuts, it, and he's like a very he, smug. He used to be fun, but now it's just like, I don't want to hear about your negativity, man. Yeah, towards a fun thing. That's what that's what they're that, that's what they gotta do. They gotta I get know. objective with it. I anyway, know. we got off the rails. What are we talking about, man? What's fun about wait? So I can recommend. I can straight up at the end. I'll pull up some YouTube channels which are really amazing and mm-hmm. they're very visual and they're awesome and I can highly recommend them for teaching some things about particle physics. 
but I think really like just don't get discouraged by how difficult it is to try to visualize this because it's impossible to visualize or to understand it because it's entirely counterintuitive to us. But the thing that makes particle physics so amazing is that as you learn about it, you start to realize like some of the fundamental truths of the way that you see the world aren't actually how nature works. Mm -hmm. One of them, which I'm a big fan of, is um, quantum chromodynamics. Quantum chromodynamics is um, a, a certain type of interaction between quarks. I'm gonna back up, oh my quarks. gosh. Okay. Um, this I think everybody knows what protons, neutrons, and electrons are. We, yeah. we all knew that. Yeah. Those are like the particles and that make up don't? all- and if you don't get out, get out of here. No, we all know Jimmy Neutron. Come on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Protons, neutrons and electrons make up atoms, which make up all the elements in mm -hmm. like a different numbers of protons, neutrons and electrons make up different elements. Um, in that same way, over the years, we've discovered that that's actually not the smallest you can break things up into. Mm -hmm. We used to think it was atoms and then we found it was, oh, protons, neutrons, and electrons. And then we figured out, oh, inside protons and neutrons, there are quarks. And now we have what is known as the standard model of, yeah, say it, Dom. Quarks. <laughs> Quarks. Um, Got to give it a goofy name, man. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, people aren't going to pay attention. Yeah. The standard model of particle physics is the different types of quarks. Which quarks. In different combination, create the, um, the, the, the larger particles of protons and neutrons. So, so a different number of quarks will either make a proton, neutron, or electron? So no. So electrons are their own base particle. They're so okay. incredibly small in their interactions. Mm -hmm. They're tiny, 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 tiny. Mm -hmm. I think it's something like um, if um, if an atom was the size of um, of like a baseball field, the nucleus of the atom, which is made up of all the protons and neutrons, that would be the size of a basketball. And the okay. electrons would be out towards the end. And those things would be super tiny, like mm -hmm. minuscule, like grains of sand. So they're mm -hmm. very small. So electrons cannot be broken up into anything smaller. Mm -hmm. um, unless you, like, you can also, it's well, you can break them down into energy and in string theory you can break that energy down into something else. <laughs> but different combinations of triads of quarks, which are some of the basic elements. Um, we have a table of the basic particles that comprise the entire universe. Mm -hmm. There are six different types of quarks all with different flavors and mm. they don't they're not called types they're called flavors there's the up quark the down quark the top quark the the tarp the top quark the bottom quark the charm quark and the strange quark the t <laughs> they they got wild with it at the end that's like that's like in pokemon where they had just like oh we'll have like fire and we're water. fire water and now it's like oh we've got a ghost uh, yeah <laughs> Fairy. this is dragon type dragon type <laughs> yeah i don't know man so the different types of quarks they're named that based off of their their orientation and direction or like no like top and bottom they and fundamentally interact with the other particles different okay and i think once you get down to the attributes of um, particles it becomes very difficult because it's just the different ways that they interact with each other and mm -hmm. the different ways that they can pair up mm -hmm. um you just have to think of them as people at certain points like mm -hmm. you can have a group of people which are all people but they all interact with each other differently. Mm -hmm. um, and they all have different weights and they all have different charges and they all have different like um, ways. It, uh, I, it's, it's hard to do this, this whole lesson, but essentially the thing that going back to quantum chromodynamics, 
which I guess I'm trying to make a case for particle physics right now. Quantum chromodynamics is within a triad of quarks, which can make up either a proton or neutron or other types of hadrons. The large had oh I'm getting into hadrons. So, so hadrons, you know when you hear about like a large the large hadron collider in Sweden is doing something. Never mind, I guess only I do that. If you ever hear hadron, they're talking about tr like different combinations of quarks okay. that make up like those bigger particles, which make up atoms and other things. In those triads, they all they need to be in those triads the same way that a magnet needs a positive side and a negative side. You cannot have a magnet that's not that doesn't have a positive or negative side right right even if you cut a magnet in half split it down with an axe all of a sudden those two pieces have a positive side and a negative side right. magnetism itself the interaction of magnetism cannot exist without positive and negative mm -hmm. and so there are four fundamental forces to the universe there's gravity the strong force the weak force and electromagnetism mm -hmm. gravity so, sorry they're nicknamed the strong force and weak force because scientists got lazy at a certain point okay. when we were doing stuff okay everybody knew about gravity I, isaac newton said that and he said there's gravity and there's really only two quote-unquote charges for gravity you either have weight and if you have weight you fall towards other things that have weight the moon and asteroids fall towards other things that have weight you know what i mean does that make sense yeah no i still don't quite understand gravity like i get i get the diagram of like people like yeah. That you're taught where it's just like it's a sheet that's spread out and then you drop Your a bowling divots. ball on it yeah. and now things roll to the bowling ball. I've al that but one's still, always confused me I too. still don't it's quite so understand. Like, In the most basic sense for gravity, there are weightless objects in particle physics, which are particles that straight up have no weight. Mm -hmm. They'll fly in one direction and they'll maybe be tossed around by electromagnetism, but they're mm -hmm. purely weightless. Mm -hmm. But m every other thing that has mass... You have that attribute. So gravity itself, if it's thought of as um, having, I'm going to use charge as an example, because magnets, mm -hmm. you either have no charge or you have a positive charge or a negative charge. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. And that's how they all interact. Mm -hmm. You are either a particle or a piece of matter or something that walks into the room and it has no charge, so it doesn't do anything. Or it has a negative charge, so it'll interact with things that have a positive charge and they'll be attracted to that. Mm -hmm. Gravity, as we know it, only has one charge and things of that same charge are attracted to each other. If you have weight, you will fall towards other things that have weight. The earth is really heavy, so heavy things is, will fall towards the earth. Is the reason that like that things in this room right now aren't getting pushed together only because the gra one the gravity of the, the, the gravity world of the earth is, is immense and the friction that the fifth of the things that are on top yes. of each other? Okay. If you were to go out into deep space and have two baseballs and put them about a meter apart, it would be very slow, but over the course of four days, they would fall towards each other. Okay. Uh, probably around that time. I might just get schooled and be told it's three days, actually. Uh -huh. Anyway, but that shows you that it's very weak. If you had two magnets in space, that's a much stronger force. Mm -hmm. Those guys would immediately start visibly moving towards each other and probably get to each other in like a couple seconds. Yeah. Magnets are really strong. Uh -huh. What's even more strong than that are the strong force and weak force, and that's what keeps... Um, the quarks together, coupled together inside neutrons and protons to make up neutrons and protons. Mm -hmm. And we discovered that it was an entirely different force because only these quarks interact with each other in these ways. And the thing that blew my mind about particle physics, and there's a lot of different things about particle physics, which is crazy, which are particles that act like waves, particles that it can exist in one place and simultaneously not exist. 
And if you look at like popular uh, media and sci-fi, like th- these things will occasionally be thrown in as plot devices in science fiction. Uh, the same way that like dark matter might be thrown in, or like black so holes might be. So what thrown exactly in. are what are our quarks? Like what what are they made up of? Or is that that's the furthest that we've gotten? And at this point, okay. we think that um, they're at that point they're just made up of energy. Um, this all matter, you know, oh my gosh, we're getting off track. I want to talk about, I want to finish up quantum chromodynamics and then hop okay. back in. I, I'll, I'll, I'll actually just talk about what you're saying really quick, which is that, um, if they find out that quarks actually are made up of smaller things, can I, can I name them jubels? Yeah, you can name them jubels. I think string theory has already labeled those like strings of energy. Okay. Um, so, that's fine. but that's starting to get to the fringe of trying to explain things that we still don't understand okay. about these particles. Um, and about the nature of the universe. But it's just crazy the things that we still don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, we're like, oh, uh, that just does things the way they are. Mm-hmm. We need another Einstein or another Isaac Newton desperately. Because before Isaac Newton, people were like, yeah, things fall. Like, why would you even try to explain that? That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And then he tr- he went and explained it. And then mm-hmm. everyone said, oh, yeah, Einstein, things have gravity. And light exists. Well, you don't have to explain because it's what it is. And then he dove into it. Right yeah. now, we need another person to be like, mm-hmm. yes, magnetism does this. Particles do this. But why? Let's really figure out the deep nature of it. Mm-hmm. There's a great book called The End of Science, which is about what happens when we're no longer arguing about things that we can experiment on and it becomes a belief system. And we're starting to approach that age because there's a lot of things in string theory that are very difficult to prove. Mm-hmm. And that's wild that someday we might reach our physical limit to what we can understand about, about the universe. And we have to come up with reasons for why particles interact. Anyway, I'm going to talk about what you said, which was um, what are quarks and how do they work? Um, in the in those giant like Hadron colliders where people say, like, oh, it's going to create a black hole and all that stuff. Have you heard about that? Uh, like, in spi- in, like in Spider-Verse? Yes. The big thing, the giant room and the yeah. tubes that go everywhere and mm-hmm. they go in a big circle around this giant facility and they shoot particles at each other yes. and it's like an explosion yes, in the yes, center. Yes, 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 yes. So those, they're doing that because they're actually temporarily breaking quarks apart and uh, they're breaking hadrons, protons and neutrons, mm-hmm. apart and the quarks are free for a second and we can observe them. Uh-huh. And sometimes those quarks break apart into energy and that energy comes back together and creates a new particle. One of the biggest simplifications lies we tell people young people in school is that matter can't be created or destroyed Mm -hmm. but the famous equation e equals mc squared literally means energy equals mass times the speed of light squared which is basically saying a large amount of energy when it's put in one place can become matter and matter when broken apart can become a lot of energy Mm -hmm. um of course that energy doesn't stick around for long and it says what can i do i have a lot of energy why don't i just become another particle so when you break a quark apart and you crack it open like an egg mm-hmm. it's i'm just going to give a lot of like weird visual metaphors okay. there are so many scientists i'm triggered like around it's like it doesn't break it doesn't have like a shell you have to think about this because it's so small and it's so difficult to observe you can think about it however you want mm-hmm. because it's just like a meta it's almost not it's almost metaphysical these are concepts mm-hmm. these are things that are so small they're not balls bouncing around in a test yeah. tube hitting each other they're the concept of a thing interacting with the other concept of a thing uh-huh so, so you bre- quark- when you break a quarks apart what happens so when quarks breaks break apart in uh like a, a collider it will be released into energy but the thing is, is that 
those that strong force that I talked about that keeps that triad together, those three quarks, mm-hmm. they need to be together. And trying to rip one out takes so much energy that when we put a lot of energy and really fire them at high velocity and these particles are charged up with so much momentum and so much energy that ripping a quark out takes so much energy um, that it actually gives it an anti-quark pair. (laughs) It creates matter so that it can stick together. The only ways that quarks can be paired up is in triads or in like anti anti quark pairs together okay so you in order to take a quark out of a quark cluster you have to create another quark but you have to you have spend to rip, a lot of energy you have to spend a lot of energy and, make, and instead what energy, happens it says you make well, another quark screw you i'm gonna make a new friend so now do you have one more quark that's just so you've got then you still that you've got a triad of quarks and then now you also have the quark that you pulled out or do you yeah, have two now you quarks? have a quark and an anti-quark pair and that okay. is on its own another hadron okay um to constitute as a hadron this is uh, a little bit of what quantum chromodynamics is mm-hmm. the same way that if you were to have a pair of magnets you would need a positive side of a magnet and a negative side of a magnet to stick together to create a hadron you need three different charges on a quark and that's where this this is the strong force that's keeping it together it's not magnetism mm-hmm. it's not magnetism in the same way that protons and neutrons are positive and negative electrically charged mm-hmm. there's a different force that we discovered the strong force which is a totally new attribute the same way an object can have weight or it can have charge it's a mm-hmm. totally new attribute but it, there's mainly three because you're required to have three of them we called them colors which was red green and blue which is totally misleading because uh-huh. these things don't have colors obviously they don't emit light or they mm-hmm. don't reflect light but what's crazy is that this force requires three pairs that are all opposites the concept of an opposite doesn't why do you m- say it it requires three pairs when i can have a, a quark and an anti-quark on its own which is not a three pair yeah if you think about that for color the um, the particle itself is like an anti it's an it's an antiparticle. It's the it's the mirror reflection of another quark. But because it's an antiparticle, when they co- like when they collide, um, how do I explain this? Have you ever have you heard about like when man when matter and antimatter collide? No. They co- they they explode and turn into energy. Have you heard about that? No. So the reason that there is no antimatter sitting around in the universe is because when matter and antimatter collide, they cancel each other out and they just turn into plain old energy. Mm-hmm. So temporarily they pair up and they're friends, but it's not sustainable. Okay. What happens eventually to a, to a young quark and a young anti-quark? They, they, eventually, they eventually meet. I mean... Do they eventually then get a third quark to make a quark? Three? Regular quarks that have regular... that are matter and not antimatter. Mm-hmm. They're regular old charges they can stick together and be sustainable. Mm-hmm. That's what compromises most of the matter in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, what blew my mind about particle physics and what made me fascinated by it was th- that third attribute that we discovered, that third kind of charge, the strong force, mm-hmm. it isn't, the concept of opposites doesn't require two sides because okay. they all, all three of the quarks are equally opposites of each other 
Mm-hmm. But without all three of them, it's not like two of them are opposites and then there's like a third extra thing. They're all equally opposite. Mm-hmm. And it blew my mind because I realized that our concept of our concept of opposite is it's cultural. It's what we're used to. You're here or you're not here. You're good or you're evil. Mm-hmm. You're positive or you're negative. <clears throat> when actually when we look at nature, that's just one side of what an opposite can be. Mm-hmm. An opposite can be three different things. I am so sorry that I added anti-particles into this because <laughs> then you can have a mirror reflection of something and right. then that can be pairs. But that's like a whole other different vein of physics that can come into the mix. Okay. Um, Would you only have a quark and an anti-quark if you were doing that process of taking a quark out of a No, out of if you put way enough energy into it, you could pull a quark out and then in the process create two new quark friends and you're like, here's, oh, okay. your, here's your opposite. Here yeah. are your opposites. Mm-hmm. So you can be your own particle. Yeah. Which is wild. Like that's mm. that's crazy. How do we know that there's quarks? How do we know that there are quarks? <laughs> yeah. When we smash them together, all of a sudden it isn't one proton in one singular location. Like uh-huh. it, it's no longer coordinates in space that are giving off a certain charge and certain attributes. All of a sudden, when we're measuring different densities in charge and weights and um different attributes like spin mm-hmm. and uh, eventually what we discovered is color we discovered that like oh it actually does split up there are different like spikes of mm-hmm. this attribute at these coordinates at this location mm-hmm. and we can track where these these coordinates move and that's how we figured out like oh we're splitting what we thought was the base level a neutron or a proton into something that was smaller and that was quarks mm-hmm. and we smashed them together longer and eventually figured out like oh in the process of trying to smash open <laughs> A quark, we ended up giving it more friends to live with. Yeah. It's funny that it's like from from what you've been saying, it seems like most of quantum physics is just like, how do we how do we rip it apart? How do we smash it together? Isn't with that yeah, thing? that's what it is. Uh, how else are we gonna find out what it is unless we just try and explode it, try and ruin it a little bit? I'm very excited for like in a thousand years when people are looking back, like, can you believe they just like chucked quarks chucked at them at each other just to see what would happen? Why don't you just talk to them? Fam? Yeah. Just ask them how they're feeling. It's wild, but it totally reshapes the way you can think about the world. Because what mm-hmm. I, the thing I, I think I brought up before is that there are particles that are in superposition, where they can be in two places at once, where okay. they can be um, giving off attributes and charge Partic- at one particles location. Particles as in, as in what? As in quartz or like protons? Sure. Or, and, or electrons, really. Any, okay. Electrons, sure. And they can be existing in two places at once and interfering with each other. One object shaking hands with itself at two different locations. How? This is actually how we figured out how electrons work, which Mm -hmm. is um, we discovered that when we would fire electrons through a small hole, it would create a weird interference pattern. But we were firing them one by one. And so we'd be like, why is there this weird? Why is it acting like it's interfering with something? And what we discovered was is that all particles, and this is crazy, have a probability of where they are located at one time, but that isn't a mathematical, like, I wonder where this particle is going to be. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, they're not permanently in one location. Imagine me as, like, a ghost kind of <laughs> spreading out and being more and more transparent the further you got away from me. So it's correct. Cra- ah! Isn't that crazy? Like, that's wild, but that's how the world is. Uh-huh. Like, that's not, like... Uh, how do we explain this away? Oh, it's uh, 
it's got a high probability. This it 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 disappeared away. But no, when we fired those electrons through, it it was called like the 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 uh, the slit experiment. We'd fire them through a small slit. Uh, like the awareness, like name it something different, you guys. <laughs> like you gotta understand this. Um, the singular electrons, the different probability of where they were going to exist. They interacted with themselves. They temporarily uh-huh. shook hands with themselves and said, oh, you should probably go this way. Mm-hmm. And it moved off and it created this interaction pattern. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. And there's actually, when we would make smaller and smaller circuit boards, we ended up realizing like, oh, we can't have these wires these close together because it's really easy for electrons and a current to exist within. Um, they like existing in, this is so dumb. They like existing in places that are easier for them to exist in, right? Yeah. They don't, don't want to be going in somewhere else. But when you have those two little tiny circuits really close together, every once in a while, an electron, by pure chance of probability, its little ghost that spreads off everywhere would hop into another wire. It would hop. What? So we okay. couldn't make circuit boards any smaller. Mm-hmm. And that's an example of like our concept of objects being in a location. Like you pick up a cup, and this cup has borders. It's, it's here. It has a physical location. He's got a cup a in his hands. I do. I hope you guys can hear that. But really. So what you're saying is like just. And this is all di- matter, Dom. The diagram- this is all matter. The, we are all just, just like, diagrams. We're all right, diagrams. Right, right. The diagrams of just like the the neutrons and protons just being little balls. And then. That's and then, to help us understand. Right. They're not. They're like. There's like a weird fall or, off. So not even that. Not even the fact that they're not little balls and that they could be something else. They're also can't be diagrammed because they're also more than one place at the same time and also um, can be opposites of each other, even though there's three of them, but not independently opposites of two. It's crazy. And it sounds dizzying. I highly recommend just like you look this stuff up and you get Uh a diagram. You're like, okay, it's easier when you see this vision. But you said diagrams don't don't work, right? They don't. Like (laughs) what's crazy is that our brains grow up on a macro level where objects do have borders and when you try to break them apart they don't ghost off and disappear into different locations that are in different places at once if i drop if i throw this mug across the room it's going to break into pieces and those pieces mm-hmm. are going to have boundaries yeah objects don't disappear for humans usually unless you're very forgetful like me <laughs> um so then what's so our so brains are, are our brains are, are not are built. atoms then atoms are they, are they you say it's matter but sure, atoms are. It doesn't, are, it doesn't sound like are, you, it doesn't sound like you mean that it's matter. Atoms are matter, and matter is a location <laughs> with attributes. You're telling me I'm made up of at- attributes if of you, something. We're about to do a little a little experiment. Dom, hold your hand up to me. Oh, we're touching hands right now. Our hands are touching, but really, our atoms are not physically touching because what's happening is the electrons are repelling each other. There's a little electron shell around our nucleus, right? It's mm-hmm. all those electrons spinning and popping in and out of existence all around that little circle around the nucleus. Yeah. You know the model of like, yeah, it's, yeah, they're all spinning yeah, around. Yeah. There's like a little force field of electrons. And because electrons can jump around and appear and disappear, they're not rotating like planets. They're actually just like appearing and disappearing uh-huh. around this the, the atom. And they're repelling each other. So we're not really touching each other when we're holding hands. Sorry, Dom. <laughs> but... It's forces interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. There's a location with a certain number of attributes and forces. What do you mean by attributes? Just just way things like push are. and pull. Like when we hold up our hands, I have electrons which have a negative charge, and you have electrons which have a negative charge. And so when we push our hands together, we feel that push. 
mm-hmm. we feel that interaction. So you're you're saying that we can only define things in quantum physics by describing what they do. Yes, and that's but you don't crazy. know what they are. No, but they become what they are exclusively by what they do. We are all what we do. It's a weirdly moral lesson. It's like a weirdly moral lesson. All that you are is what you do. Uh-huh. And the things inside you that exist. Like your actions become what you are. It sounds really like philosophical, but... Physically, the, that is a plain non-metaphorical statement. That's a fact. Yeah. And what's that's it, 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 it feels like you're getting closer to the truth of existence and i highly recommend you don't have to be a part of physics experts you don't have to be neil degrasse tyson you guys i don't want to be yeah (laughs) but i highly recommend looking into it because it's changed my life it made me realize that a lot of like we said opposites doesn't mean doesn't have to mean a duality that's a cultural thing Uh uh-huh our 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 concept of objects and 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 things that we can move around that's just because of how the way we were raised as babies. We had to come up with these rules. But the rules that we learn, whether it's from our biology or our upbringing or our society, those are just the rules that our brains had to learn to figure things out. Mm-hmm. It's what works best on a regular five foot, six foot tall person scale. That's the way you can summarize how things interact as objects yeah. and how objects push and pull on each other. And so the more you learn about quantum physics, the more you realize that you're trying to describe a world through rules that we made just to describe our regular sized world. Yeah. Can we learn more about the rules that describe our large world by learning about the rules that uh, govern the, the tiny world? world? Because it yes. seems like they're com- two completely different worlds. They are, Dom. And they are. Wait, and they, are crazy? they two completely different worlds or are they the this same is world? This one of the biggest arguments in physics right now. So when Einstein created a bunch of equations for general relativity, how planets move and how black holes interact on a big cosmic scale, how objects interact and light interacts with each other, Isaac Newton created those equations a long time ago, but every once in a while they would be wrong, and that's because of strange ways that space-time moves on this grand scale. When we apply those rules to quantum physics... They don't work, which is crazy because it shouldn't matter if I'm trying to calculate if I've got a big thing, and a, a big ball, thing. if I'm throwing a big ball across the room or if I'm throwing a small ball across the room, I should use the same math, but yeah. the math doesn't work. And when you use quantum physics on a cosmic scale, it doesn't work. And so this is what Einstein died trying to do and what Stephen Hawking died trying to do, figuring out a way of latching the equations of these two fields of physics together because math should work whether you're calculating something big or calculating yeah. something small. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that we're trying to figure out right now. And especially when we're looking at particle physics, one of the things that we're trying to figure out is our standard model of particle physics doesn't line up in a couple ways. Mm-hmm. And it can be explained using um, a, a new field of physics, which is looking into supersymmetry, which is saying that there are probably more particles that we haven't figured out yet. I don't know. There's probably, there's probably, there's probably more. Is there, wait, 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 is there a difference between quantum physics and particle physics? So quantum physics describes all interactions on a subatomic scale. Mm-hmm. Particle physics is mainly looking into how those particles interact. Okay. So I use particle physics to be very specific because I feel like when you talk about quantum physics, it's a very scary, daunting mm-hmm. concept. And it's used in TV shows to explain that somebody is very smart. Yeah. And then they hold up a piece of paper and then fold it in half and then stick a pen through it. They say, it's a wormhole. It's a wormhole. <laughs> Which is, like, that's not particle physics, <laughs> buddy. Anyway, all I'm saying is is that, like, 
these like vast fields. And I feel like what you, we're really getting meta. <laughs> what your show shows is that it doesn't matter how in-depth into a field you can be. There's still a way of translating it. Mm-hmm. And that quantum physics isn't so daunting and it is very rewarding because what it is telling you is that all these preconceptions you had about the way that the world works are actually kind of arbitrary. Mm-hmm. That's really just how most of the objects you interact with work. Mm-hmm. What are some recommendations for like YouTube channels? Or uh, there's something a YouTube like that? channel called Space Time published by PBS. So good, can get very complicated. They have a couple associate channels which are easier to understand. Their more recent stuff is them going into things that are so in-depth I have to like pause the video and be like, okay, well, let me write that down uh-huh. really quick. But if you go to the earlier stuff, it's they explain more easy things about space-time. Mm-hmm. If you want to get into particle physics and quantum physics, look up Fermi Lab. Mm-hmm. Fermi, F-E-R-M-I, Lab, mm-hmm. um, on YouTube. Um, they explain, they have a video where they just explain chromodynamics. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you like, yeah, in the same way that some things have a charge or some things have a weight, some particles have a color. And in the same way that gravity can push and pull on things, actually we don't we're pretty sure gravity can't push on things we are pretty sure it can only pull mm-hmm. although there are some people that says there's anti-gravity particles out there that can push things <laughs> i'm just ranting at this point i feel like when people in the scientific community there's like a lot of pressure to be like publish a paper that has a great headline like please publish a paper that has a great headline and it's like if particles could push gravity instead of pull like gravity we could create spaceships <laughs> like in star trek and, and then like and, and then, then and then like a bunch of sub like papers are like scientists say that we could have star trek spaceships but the actual, in the next 50 years and then the actual paper has nothing to do has with nothing star to do trek. it it's yeah. like hey hypothetically what if there's a particle that was like matter but instead of pulling <laughs> like instead of like falling towards objects you actually pushed away kind of like Star Trek? <laughs> kind of like Star Trek, man. Um, Any other YouTube channels? or Those two are great. There's okay. a lot more, and I think another thing is that if you're ever having a, trou- a trouble visualizing it, the hardest part is just figuring out the name of the phenomenon. And then mm-hmm. once you have that, you say, how does blank work? Mm-hmm. And usually it will have a goofy name, mm-hmm. like quantum chromodynamics. <laughs> That's wonderful. It's great. Thank you so much, Hunter. Thank you for being on the show. Didn't I start talking about bananas? Yeah. But I mean, if this show's not about smooth transitions from b- colonial bananas to uh, quantum physics, then what is the, it? Dom, I want to talk about the Coriolis effect. Dom, you had a question. The show was supposed to end. The show is supposed to end. This is the after hours. You you are free to cut you this. You can go. You're you free still to cut here? This. Okay. Quickly sum up the Coriolis effect. Um, if you're in a uh, a park and you have one of those spinny things and you put your arm out and you're spinning kind of slow and then you tuck your arms in, you move really fast. Yeah. That's because. Um, on the outside, your arms are moving at a steady velocity. Mm-hmm. When you pull that in, that energy all of a sudden becomes the energy it takes to do one full rotation from far away. That same energy really close in could mean a lot more rotations. Because you, you have a smaller radius to cover. You have a smaller radius to cover. So you can spin but with the much same quicker. amount of energy. Same amount of energy. Mm-hmm. So on Earth, if you're at the equator, you're the farthest out you can be on Earth. Right. As you move north or south towards a pole, you start getting closer to that center of rotation. Mm-hmm. So if you quickly move an object in the air um, up or down uh, from the equator, that energy of it rotating around the Earth all of a sudden will make that object move a little but bit faster. But the Earth is flat, Hunter. Yeah, I didn't think about that one. Okay. So... so there are two ways that we can see this for sure. One is in hurricanes, which is that the 
um, the wind that's rotating at the equator, yeah. that wind, if it moves up, will move slightly faster around the Earth because it has the same amount of momentum, the same right. amount of energy. Yeah. And so what you see in hurricanes is all hurricanes in the northern hemisphere are, the, are tripping over each other and they all circle in one way. And then in the southern hemisphere, all hurricanes circle the other way. That's that's wild. Which is crazy. How, how far of a difference does it have to be before you can actually notice this phenomenon? Or not phenomenon, but but like so if I if I had like a gun like a bull if I shot a bullet away from the equator, how far would it have to go before it starts curving? You could probably notice it, but it'd be small. The other thing is that bullets are very light, so it does mm-hmm. not take a lot of energy to move a bullet. Mm-hmm. If you were to move something really heavy and launch it in space, like a cannon, and have a cannonball. That cannonball has a lot of energy inside it. Mm-hmm. So when it gets closer to the center rotation of the universe by going uh, universe, the center of uh, <laughs> the planet of Earth, uh-huh. when it gets closer to that pole, um, it has a lot more energy. So you can more clearly see the difference of like something heavy like a cannonball. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to go crazy, Dom. You can tell in my voice, right? <laughs> um, so um, the early British were great at calculating exactly where their cannonballs would land when they would like and they, take so, over. And, but they didn't know about this. No, they didn't know about phenomenon. the coil effect. In fact, they probably had a, like the math was probably so rudimentary. They were just like, like, I guess because we're in in Britain or whatever. They're just like, oh, this is the way it is. When you launch a cannonball north, like straight up north, it'll slightly move a little bit faster this way. Uh-huh. Um, and if you launch a cannonball straight south, it'll slightly start tilting a little bit this way. Right. Um, but they're in the northern hemisphere. So your cannonball is either moving away from the equator or toward the equator. Uh-huh. When they tried to go to Australia and take over some folks or in Africa and take over some folks, they were launching their cannonballs. And all of a sudden, the cannonball, because they're on the other side of the equator, they would move in entirely different directions. Uh-huh. And the British are like, what is going That's on? Crazy. Can you imagine like the basic like the basic thing that you had to account for uh-huh. in your biggest weapon like, of all warfare? All of a sudden, it's swapped, and they're like, What's this going- is still north, right? <laughs> this is still north. What is going on? It's crazy, especially because like that is the macro scale of the globe interacting with objects, like small objects. Yes. And, not, and it, you can't even you can't la- launch a cannon that far. Yeah. And so it's like the example of me spinning around a thing in a park and then pulling my arms in makes sense, but it seems like that would only work on if you're shooting something from from the equator all the way to the North Pole. But a cannon shoots like yeah, as far as you can see, basically. Yeah, which isn't that far. And it's already it's, it's already, already been affected. That's crazy. It's crazy. And it's, I think this is the, one of the biggest thing that makes me love all this stuff is that like, whether on the very tiny, tiny, tiny scale mm-hmm. uh, of quantum physics or particle physics and the macro scale of general relativity, it affects our everyday lives in mm-hmm. very secret ways. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for coming on the Don't, show, Hunter. Thank you so we, much. I learned so much. A wonderful time. Thank you. I'm, uh, towards the end, my brain started melting and I started using the wrong words. It's all good. Thank you so much. <laughs> but, yeah. I will have to have you back. Oh, I'll be back. Yeah. Especially when I realize everything I said today is wrong. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, thank you for listening to this show. Check out our companion videos. Um, Please watch those videos. Dom does such a great job. It's incredible. Check out the Rubik's Cube one. You. Check out the Ruth Bader Ginsburg one. Oh, they're incredible. 
and uh yeah so just go to youtube and uh our channel is called 22 west video and check them out there you can also check out our uh our instagram at 22 west lb and yeah see you next time